and welcome. We've got uh, with us today on this Ponderings podcast, we've got Andy Bannister. We're really pleased to have him. Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you're situated, what you're up to. Great to be uh, with you, Daniel. So uh, I am situated up in uh, Dundee, up in uh, up in Scotland, about an hour north of Edinburgh on the East Coast, for those who don't know uh, where we are. And I head up an organisation called SOLAS, and we are an organisation that specialises really in taking the, the gospel, the message of Jesus, out of the four walls of the churches. And normally, when we're not in a pandemic, you know, we spend our time in coffee shops, cafes, pubs, curry houses, universities, workplaces, anywhere we can get an audience helping give a persuasive reason why Christianity is true. These days we're doing a lot of that online. Um, and then we teach and train Christians how to share their faith kind of naturally uh, with, uh, with their friends at, uh, at work, school, university, wherever. The, the mischief maker in me, Andy, reflects on out of the four walls of church in the, into the four walls of the TV screen as we're talking to each other at the moment. So just to give some context, um, it's, uh, it's, it's mid-May uh, 2020. We are loosening up in terms of some of the restrictions on 2021, our... actually, Daniel. 21, my goodness. I missed like, the whole it, does, it feels like Groundhog Day, doesn't yeah, it? it does yeah, feel... thank you very much for that correction there. It's poor, poor for an ex-history teacher to be given the wrong date. But anyway, yes, because it does feel the same. So it's 2021, and uh, we're, we're now allowed to meet uh, with other people in homes... Um, and in theory, at the, uh, in June, we'll be able, well, in theory, most restrictions will be lifted. I know things are a bit different for you guys in Scotland as us, but at the moment we have this Indian variant of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, so we'll see what happens. So, so that just kind of gives a bit of context, uh, just in case we start talking about Zoom and things like that, and, you know, people come to this podcast in 100 years' time. What's, um, what's, what's going on? And uh, no, it's very exciting. And what I find exciting is I think it's funny how the way that, you know, Scottish politics works, Daniel, is we always have to be different to you. Yeah. So we were ahead of the curve. We were allowed into cafes before you guys. We've been really bigging up that in the last few weeks. And now you guys can meet in homes. And that, yeah. like, we're, we're quite envious, really. Oh, so you can't, so you guys can't meet in homes? I don't, you know, it's, it gets so confusing exactly. here. Yeah. Um, that you can't. I think the most recent rule was you can meet in groups of seven unless one of you is called Susan and there's an hour <laughs> in the month, in which case it's six. Except yeah. there's a full moon. It's, it's there is yeah, there is some slight confusion, isn't there? It does get quite um, difficult tracking what you can actually do, but yeah, um, but there yeah. we are. Now we do. Is in sight. We hope anyway. Well, we yeah, we do hope. Um, we do hope. And uh, yes, so we've just obviously been chatting a little bit before we came online here, and the the question that I'm I keep on pummeling people with, and desperately looking for a solution, is what do you see happening within? Christendom or the church in in the UK obviously you, you've you've been in other places as well so you might want to reflect on those but I'm just interested we're, we're in a post post um, Brexit world now we're in a actually in a post Trump world but Trump was a period and it kind of gave us yeah. a reflection it was the last Trump eh well yes so here we are what what do you see happening what what's your oh. eye view Wow, I mean, as we were talking before the before the show, right? To go, gee, there's so many ways to answer that that question. I think the first thing I would say is, of course, I mean, COVID changed everything. I think this has been really interesting. And one of the things, as, as an evangelist, because I'm kind of wired that way, that I found interesting was, I think COVID has actually created both challenges and opportunities for the church. The opportunity is that I think a lot of our, a lot of my friends, lots of audiences we engage with. I've noticed people are struggling with the fact that all of the old certainties are swept away. People thought that, you know what, the job, the holiday in France, the nice, easy kind of social life, that's enough. 
And actually, people have suddenly been exposed to the fact that life is a bit difficult. And it often is the case that when pain and suffering and trauma come along, that is actually when people think about about spiritual questions. You know, C.S. Lewis famously talked about pain being like a bit of God's megaphone uh, to kind of wake us up out of our stupor. And I think that's happened. And I think there's a huge opportunity for the church to to step in and say to people, yeah, but there is actually more to life than those things. Let's talk about those. But at the same time, I think for the last few uh for the last wee while i think a lot of churches have been obsessed with the sunday morning service of a modest Daniel. it's become the kind of monster that we have to serve you know in large churches it can consume so much energy getting the worship right and the tech right and the sermon perfect and then of course we moved everything online and a lot of churches i think spent all of their energy figuring out how to do this great online event um failing to realize that actually if people want really good online services, they can go and watch American megachurch stuff, for, you know, two clicks on YouTube. But I think evangelism got a bit neglected. Um, so I think we need to somehow square that circle and get churches re-engaged with the opportunity to reach out. And then the other big challenge, I think, I see for the contemporary church that we also chatted a bit about a moment ago, was the need for discipleship. You know, individualism is the great curse of our our age you know we live in this digital culture where you can spend your entire time with people just like you or even you know just a tribe of one really plugged in engaging in content and the church has bought increasingly into that world and covid's made that worse you know you can sit at home in your pajamas do church on the sofa um or you can plug into your favorite worship band close your eyes and it's you and jesus but the church is supposed to be community firstly brothers and sisters together that's really how god disciples as we knock our rough edges off each other and also, I think people are supposed to look at the church and see something different. Jesus said, you know, how they know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And we have got to rapidly rediscover how to do community well and show a different model of being together to the world. And I think it'd be right to say that that demonstration of, of uh, as Christ described it about, you know, the love for each other, that that's not just been under attack from COVID-19, <clears throat> excuse me, not a COVID cough, I might add, um, but, it's, <laughs> but it's, um, but that was already, that was already there, wasn't it, beforehand? Oh, it, the, the individualism you're talking about, yes. is, I mean, it's absolutely pouring out of everything, isn't it? Every, every angle is, is thrown yeah. through an individual kind of uh, prism. Absolutely. And I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, of course, I think is it's the it's the universal kind of human tendency. I mean, if you in one sense, if you think right back to the you know original sin right there in the garden, there wasn't a degree of individualism, uh, individualism in it. Get my teeth in, you know, with the serpent, you know, with Satan saying to, to Eve, well, you know, the Lord may have said, but what do you, what do you think? Why don't, why don't you choose? Yeah. And, uh, and that temptation to d- define reality around us has always been there. And you could trace that line, of course, right down to the modern age with all the kind of woke stuff that's hearing in culture. Really, that's the ultimate individualism gone mad, really. I can define reality. It doesn't matter what biology is. I decide what reality is. I decide what my gender is. I decide what everything is. That's the world. And the, the church has always been tempted to be affected uh, and infected by the world and we like to think that we're different but actually we buy into it too and then of course you throw the whole consumerism piece in as well and, and christians can sadly we can be quite consumeristic you know in a, perhaps in for example in our approach to church you know rather than think about community where we put roots down and commit for 30 or 40 years we're like well you know what the church isn't 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 really isn't really doing it for me you know there's a better sermon at the church down the road the worship band's better at the church around the corner so i'll up sticks and leave and again that's made it all about me and so I think the great challenge for us as Christians 
uh, is evangelistically how we respond to a world that's that's turning in on itself and as christians how we make sure we don't do that but we we, we grow together rather than grow apart very very interesting and i think it's it's helpful to reflect not just on the the theory of how individualism may be affecting those other people around me but starting to think okay how does that play out on my own practice and that kind of thing so let me put you on the spot andy yes how would you say in that reflective thing what what would be the temptations for you to 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 live in an individualistic way what what are the ways what are the things that you find a challenge that you have to check yourself and say oh hang on let me not be of the world let me be in it but not of it what what would you say are the things that yeah well i i I, I could that's a great question and 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 it's a great way of thinking about it too because you know as jesus you know famously said you know before you point out the speck in somebody else's eye the log in yours i remember somebody once one writer on discipleship i remember really i forget who said you know whenever you see that speck in somebody's eye ask yourself what what is the log in your own because probably you've got a log-like version of that yeah i think for me i'd say there's there's, there's three areas i'm always very conscious of as somebody you know who loves technology i mean i i'm, I'm a technophile i, I love okay. gadgets and gizmos and i love the, the digital world that's a whole rabbit hole right you can very easily spend a lot of time just yourself online or hanging out with people like you online and the, right. and the ability to live in an echo chamber is very easy okay. we do it as christians we spend too much time with christians and not enough time hanging out with those who don't know christ so we can be salt and light and of course within that you can hang out just with your tribe so i'm often having to check myself and go am i hearing enough voices that challenge me and are different to me and are uncomfortable to be with especially in the online environment second is someone who loves the, the life of the mind you know i love i love reading and again a similar thing applies but you know making sure that i'm reading widely and not just in that echo kind of chamber because again without realizing it that can reinforce the well i'm obviously right because everyone i read agrees with me um and and uh and uh yeah i'm actually getting married always solves that problem because spouses are like <laughs> eating that out of us and then lastly i think the church one actually you know we found it very tough um during during covid because we've got young kids got an eight-year-old and a six-year-old and that makes church really hard actually um because as opening up has slowly begun here you know our local church at the moment isn't doing sunday school so that makes it very difficult for us so we've been doing church with you know another family sometimes two other families you know within the limits meeting together outside but we're at the stage again we love that small group actually it's really nice but we are shortly going to have to break out of it and go back into wider church once that's possible and i'd love to say i'm it's hugely exciting i can't wait but actually it's really nice to church with a very small select group and um so i'm conscious of that temptation uh, and making sure as a family we don't give into it that that's and i appreciate you just i'd rather be on the spot there but i appreciate you you've outlined those things i think it's so all all the time but whenever i speak i want to i want to put that verse over my head you're not having reached these things i press on towards the goal goal, that's that's always that thing about saying listen i'm sharing uh, well actually our tagline for this is no experts but fellow travelers uh, for pondering so um you you touched on discipleship um and i'm really interested to hear um discipleship is one of those words to be honest with you in some places it's People are almost avoiding it. It's one of those labels that everyone believes they know what the other person means, but means yeah. different things. Um, I will give you I'll give you this thing from my own thinking before you start interesting your reaction yeah. to it. I have, I have a friend who's Chinese, and and 
and when she was when I first knew her a little while ago um she was struggling with just getting to grips with English and that kind of thing and the and the word I believe in Mandarin for Christian is Christ apprenticed mm. and and I quite like that idea and as I look at the Bible um I see a lot of walking alongside yes. doing together stuff um I think um, so that's kind of shaped me. And actually, I often feel I'm not giving the opportunity for that or even taking the opportunity to myself to do that. But I, I give you that as a leading thing, just so I'm not trying to hit you with it later on. But I, it's interesting. It feels like there is a, from what you said, there is a little bit of a, a shortage of discipleship. Um, do you feel that relates to the individualistic thing? And how do we, what do you think discipleship looks like in the 21st century? Oh, gosh. Wow, you're throwing some great questions today. Yeah, I'm, I'm just planning to, as, as an author, I'm planning to try and get my next book out of what you answer here. So. Oh, no, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> I don't expect anything less, and, 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 and 15% commission is, is fine. Right, so. okay, well, you heard it here first here. Yeah, you heard it here uh, first, and we'll never hear it again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, a, I think let's start with the individual piece. I think, I think one of the things that individualism, ha- individualism has caused us to do, of course, is, again, we can make our faith just me and Jesus, um right and of course it's very easy to be a christian in one sense when it's when it's me and jesus um you know i don't know if you have this experience of you know sometimes when you have your quiet time for me i get up you know a crack of the door and the house is quiet uh before the kids are up and it's great you know read a little bit read a bit of the bible pray it's so easy because it's just me and god and then suddenly all goes wrong when the kids come crashing in and then suddenly now i have to be a christian in the real world of people and people who can be irritating and do things they shouldn't and six-year-olds who are annoying and and so on and, and i think actually there's something about discipleship that, that that doesn't let us get away with just being me and god in a in a quiet corner of the room and that's i think the problem with individualism um church is where that's supposed to to happen you know church i think i mentioned this earlier church i think part of the design of church is god wants us to knock corners off each other it's yeah. we bang together with people who wind us up and then we suddenly realize gosh you know what i probably wind them up um <laughs> and uh, there's something about when church is functioning properly it should have people together who probably wouldn't be in that the same room were it not for the gospel of, of peace uniting them so i think that's one of the problems with individualism right. um in terms of what discipleship means i i, I think you're right because i think it's a term that everyone sort of thinks should be a good idea but no one's quite sure what well, either people don't want to commit to it because it sounds like a very heavy amount of work um, or we're not sure what it means. I, I think that you mentioned the idea, the kind of idea of journeying or walking. I quite like yeah. it. So I think that's a metaphor in scripture. Um, actually, there's a lot of that kind of idea. I mean, starting right from, you know, the way that Jesus would teach the disciples as they wandered around the, 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 the lanes and the highways and the byways. And you think all those conversations that went on in that context. Then I, one of my favorite scriptural passages, Luke 24, where, you know, Jesus is walking on the Emmaus road with people unpacking the scriptures to them. And I think there's all these little walking metaphors uh, throughout, throughout scripture. And I think to be reminded, I think that Christian faith is a journey remarkably helpful because i think it does a number of things firstly it reminds us it is an effort you don't become a christian and then sit back and do nothing becoming a christian is the beginning but at the same time it encourages you to be perhaps a little bit patient with yourself at times because i don't know about you sometimes i get quite cross to myself because i wish i should be further on than i am and actually there's there's a sense of discipleship going yes it's important to recognize the areas where you're weaker and to work on them by god's grace you know through scripture through prayer through the holy spirit but with others around you supporting you and encouraging you learning from older and wiser souls and so on but to realize there's a journey and um and sometimes we haven't always thought about that and then also to be kind and patient with others 
because um, it's helpful to remember, you know, if you see somebody who's been a Christian for three or four years and you look at them and go, oh, they got a bit of a speck in the old eye there. It can be helpful to go, well, yeah, you know, you've got a few logs yourself, but they've got another 50 or 60 years of following Jesus. And I and one of my favorite verses, you mentioned that, that kind of running the race idea from Philippians. I think you alluded to a moment ago. Mm-hmm. Philippians 1 verse 6, the idea of, you know, he who began a good work in you, yeah. will carry on to completion of the day of Christ Jesus. And then, for want of a better word, I suppose it's my life verse. I've, you know, I, I think I, I think I was a verse. I was someone wrote in a card, and I was baptized. I keep coming back to it throughout my right. Christian walk. And I think it's a great idea that that God is actually shaping you into something. And then, lastly, I suppose that plays out for me as as we've thought this through as a family. I think there's something about marriage in there as well because yeah. discipleship together. That part of my job as a as a husband as a christian husband is to see not the person my wife is but the person that she'll become and do anything i can to help her get there by god's grace and then vice versa um and i think that's a that's quite an exciting vision for christian marriage too that you're supporting one another to be the very best that christ is yeah yeah i think it's interesting because of course the marriage picture is quite interesting because that whole concept of covenant as well Mm -hmm. and uh and that thing which is very foreign, I think, about a choice to love rather than the feeling of love. Um, I know my wife has told me many times she is choosing to love me. Uh, <laughs> yes. We have those conversations too, my we wife. Those as well. yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so I think and I think also, again, when you talk about family uh, with and, and community, um, we have that old phrase, don't we, that God gives us our families. Thank God we can choose our friends. But. Because that first point about God gives us our family, well, actually, within the family of faith, we wouldn't choose necessarily to be with those. But I think that's oddly, as, as I've been involved in different parts of the voluntary sector, as well as faith, you kind of realise there is a certain strength to a bunch of people who are there, not because they necessarily like each other or naturally. Yeah. That, that blood is you know thicker than water, isn't it? Or blood is thicker. I think so, and I think... Water. The other thing that, that that plays into is a whole other tangent we probably haven't got time to explore, but I know you and I, before we press record, we're talking about the whole diversity, you know, yeah. sort of thing. And I'm very struck by the fact that, you know, diversity is quite hard to do well. People from very different backgrounds don't naturally get along. And I think they do, but they, but they, but they don't. And having worked in different organizations, you know, and seeing different tribes fall out with right. one another's simmering resentments and stuff. And then finding myself reflecting on, you know, one of the most diverse communities I was part of. I had the privilege of being part of a church when we lived in Toronto that had 45 different nationalities. And yeah, there were issues, but actually folks got along because we, we had, what we had in common yeah. was that was that was the unity that Christ brings. And that realization, if you're a Christian, that unity in Christ means that you are closer to your brother and sister in Christ doesn't matter if they're a different race, a different nationality, a different political tribe. And yeah, it doesn't mean it's all rosy colours and everything is wonderful, but that but but seeing that work out in action, yeah. and there's something beautiful when that when that does work. When the church is at its best, I think it offers a real model to the world of actually here is a way of being together despite incredible differences. And one of my favorite writers, Tim Keller, and Tim once said, he said, Look, if when you look around church on a Sunday morning, there are not there are not people in church with you who would otherwise be your abject enemies were it not for the fact you are both in Christ, then maybe the church isn't fully functioning as it should be um, mm-hmm. because that's part of the role of, of church to bring together, you know, that which would otherwise be separate. That's, that's very interesting. I heard um, Douglas Murray, the, the atheist uh, comment, uh, commentary from uh, spectator and other places 
saying, talking about the various different parts of Christian teaching, but he says that the thing that was the most dynamic and you can't get away from is that command to love your enemies. And I think it's just interesting, particularly when you hear it trumpeted by someone who's uh, but someone who's an out and out atheist in that sense. So it's yeah. intriguing, intriguing to hear that thing. Um, I want to give us an opportunity to make sure uh, the good people listening get to hear about your book. So hey. Just uh, turn to that. So um, do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? Is that right? Have I got the title? Right? That oh, is the book. There we are. Oh. As every good author has it to hand. Yes, that is the title. <laughs> and uh, an entirely uncontroversial title, uh, Daniel, in today's world. <laughs> So how long, uh, when did, when did it uh, come out? Well, that came out, oh gosh, about two, two months ago, something okay. like that. It's still fairly, fairly hot off the, uh, hot of the press. So yeah, hot I've been press. kind of thinking about it for the last five, well, I'll be thinking about it for the 20 years actually, right. um, but it's been out for a few weeks now. Okay. No, that's very interesting. Um, so, um, okay. So you've been, you're working on, in some ways, been chewing on this book for a long time. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's got a, it's got a, as you say, a not, not it's got a feisty title. Feisty title. So tell us, I mean, um, tell us a little bit about how you got there. And, yeah. And, and I mean, without, without without taking away people who want to read it, tell us a little yeah. bit about what you're saying. Well, obviously, to really understand what I'm saying, you want to buy the book, available from any good bookseller. Um, yeah, the, the, the backstory to the book in a nutshell, uh, Daniel, is I mean, I've been dialoguing and engaging with Muslims for about, oh, gosh, 20, almost 25 years now. It's late 1990s. I, through a sort of long and winding series of happy accidents, which I talk about in the book, ended up going to a place in London called Speaker's Corner. And at Speaker's Corner, you can stand on a ladder and talk about anything, religion, politics, sport, you name it. And I got, and I fell in with a group of Christians who were using Speaker's Corner as a platform to engage and dialogue and debate with Muslims. And there were some fantastic and lively conversations there. And I just fell in love with talking with Muslims. Um, they made me think about my faith because I really hadn't thought about, you know, defending what I believed in the in the light of a of another very, very confident worldview. And one thing led to another, and I eventually ended up getting a PhD in Islamic studies. I'm a very unusual Christian, and my doctoral work was on the Quran, not on the Bible. Right. But, but then a few years ago, I began to notice lots of people just casually saying, oh, yeah, Muslims and Christians worship the same God, or this horrific little phrase, Abrahamic faiths, that kind of lumps together Jews and Muslims and Christians in a very sloppy way. And it began to irritate me a bit because I thought it was lazy, firstly, but then I thought it was actually deeply disrespectful to Islam because it allowed you not to bother looking. If you were a Christian and you said, oh, they're Abrahamic faiths, that didn't mean you bothered studying what your Muslim friends believed. It meant you just assumed they were like you and and moved on. And uh, and also, I think also I began to realize that so many people use the word God and assume they know what they mean by it. We say as Christians, we believe in God. Muslims believe in God. Hindus believe in God. God's plural. Our atheist friends know they don't believe in God. Um, and everyone assumes that when they use the word God, they mean the same thing. And I uh, was utterly convinced that wasn't the case. And so the book really is a call to do a number of things. One is to define your terms carefully. And so it's quite a, it's a deep but fun, fast moving, hopefully interesting uh, look at actually what the, the Quran and the Bible say. Not about, you know, so much about the theoretical question of whether God exists. Both the Bible and the Quran assume that. But who is God like? And actually, the differences are huge. And it's also a call call to let's take the time to understand each other. Don't be afraid of disagreement. I think people are afraid of, gosh, if Muslims and Christians worship a different God, 
they're going to be each other's throats. Actually, no, I've had wonderful conversations with Muslims across the years without having to believe the same as they do. And it's a really an invitation to listen properly and really understand what our Muslim friends believe. And of course, for Christians to try and find a way to share Christ with them in a way that's winsome and friendly and, and engaging. And it's all of those things complete with comedy footnotes. <laughs> oh, I do like a comedy footnote. So, okay, so I'm, I don't know why it is, Andy, but I feel like asking you difficult questions. So, oh, I love difficult questions. On, on, I'm assuming that that like most books, you'll have some uh, some worthy people that say good things about you or about the book and that kind yeah, of. Yeah, I've got uh, Tom Holland on the front, actually. Oh, see Tom, Tom Holland. Tom, Tom Holland. Stuff. There okay, he is. That's, well, I've, I've done better than what I've got on my books, um, so I'll, I'll, that's a challenge. Um, have you got? Any um, commendations for Muslims on the book? Simple answer is, is no. We uh, we thought we, we we thought about it, but um, there's a couple of reasons going on. We nearly got one from a from a guy called Shabir Akhtar, who is at Oxford uh, University. Um, but I think the topic is slightly too controversial for, for 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 him. I think it was more actually of what fellow Muslims uh, might say, which is interesting. Right. What I would say is all the material in the book has been road tested uh, with conversations and dialogues. Uh, with Muslims across the years, uh, across the years, but the book is, for the better word, unapologetically Christian. Yeah. Fact, I love Tom Holland's longer endorsement, where he he actually says that he says this book is from an you know unapologetically Christian perspective, yeah. but it's a very fair treatment of the issue, and um, yeah. and we engage a lot in the book with Muslim scholars and Muslim writers and Muslim thinkers and so on and so forth. But no, I kind of wish in one sense we could have got an actual cover commendation. Uh, from a from a Muslim, but I can understand why. Yeah, I, I think it makes sense, and it's interesting because I think before we came to record, I, I said my assumption was it was a book about sameness. Before I met you and heard uh, uh, and and thought, oh no no no. The no. funny thing is, you say that Daniel. What's been hilarious on social media? Yeah. I mean, there's been lots of great stuff going on, but there has been two trends that I've noticed that I found <laughs> hilarious, um, which is people saying to me on social media, "Well, why have you written a book?" The answer is obviously no which is obviously our fellow Christian, many of our fellow Christians. And then I've had lots of liberals going, well, you wrote a book. The answer is obviously yes. <laughs> like, well, the fact that two different tribes can think the answer is obviously whatever tells me that there's a discussion to be well, had. Maybe, maybe we should edit this part and you go back and say, well, what is the answer? And drive, drive people towards buying the book. Well, what well I can be very, I, I like to be a little adventure. bit, I can be edgy and a little bit, a little bit dangerous. And so the answer, I want to be cheeky and say the answer is 85% no and 15% yes. <laughs> Um, by what I mean, I will give, I will unpack that and not just be naughty. Um, and the book goes into a lot more detail, complete with, let's say, with, with comedy footnotes. Um, to go, the, um, I would say the, the no part is that if you break the question down and say, okay, what does the Quran say? Does the Quran describe the same God as the God of the Bible? The answer is categorically no. Virtually every attribute and aspect of the nature of the God of the Bible. He's a God who's relational, who can be known. He's a God who is love. He's a God who's holy. He's a God who's suffered in and through the cross in the person of Jesus. The Quran abjectly tears that entire playbook up and says no and, and rejects it and denies it and paints something different. And it gets to a point where if you and I think we have a friend in common, but the more we describe that friend to each other that everything is different we have to conclude no we were mistaken it's not the same person we're thinking of and i think that's going on with the quran however the 15 percent comes from i regularly meet muslims who will say to me things like well andy i believe that god is a god of love Mm -hmm. and rather than push back and go no no you don't believe that the quran doesn't say that where I go as a, as a Christian is I want to go into, into Acts 17, which is that wonderful moment where Paul is there in Athens. He sees the altar to the unknown God 
and he doesn't like you know let the Athenians have it with both barrels for believing in in a yet another uh, you know crazy deity. He's ah oh, that unknown god. Let me tell you who that is. Right. And with Muslims who say they do believe that God is a god of love, I want to reach out and say you're right. You're absolutely right. Come on home because that is the real god. I just don't think that's the god that's found in the Quran. Let me let me show you who God revealed in Christ is. And so that's the 15%. Yes, I think there are Muslims who are yearning after that God. And one of my dear friends until he died a few years ago was a was a former Muslim called Nabil Qureshi, who wrote an amazing book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And that was Nabil's testimony as he sought to be to get closer and closer. He wanted intimacy and relationship with God. And he was a devout Muslim. He discovered that wasn't there, but that the God that he was seeking turned out to be Jesus. And it's a beautiful story of, 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 of how that worked out for one particular Muslim. So I would say, yeah, 85% no, 15% yes. And, and you mentioned social media. Um, yeah. So have you, I mean, with this week, we've seen some pretty kind of feisty things happening <laughs> in relation to faith. Uh, particularly, there is a particular dispute going on, uh, almost all out war in, uh, in, in the Middle East. Um, in, Jewish and yes. uh, and Palestinian areas. So, just again to give context to that, have you found that you've got lively interactions related to the book, or in that sense, you've not had any threats or anything? Oh no, no. I mean, it's interesting. People, people occasionally say, sort of "Oh, do you ever get threats or anything?" I go, "Oh, absolutely not." I think most Muslims I've engaged with over the years have been wonderfully warm and friendly and engaging. You get some pushback. I mean, boy, you get people telling you that you're wrong, and ironically. Sometimes when I meet, you know, more, for once, I don't like labels, but, you know, more liberally minded Christians who are like, well, how can you possibly say the answer is, is no? I go, well, you know, my, 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 my Sunni Muslim friends think the answer is no. I've had Muslim friends tell me to my face, Andy, you are a polytheist. You know, you believe in the Trinity. One plus one plus one. That's three gods, not one gods. Right, well, you right. Come back to the, to the true deity. Well, right, what they're right. basically telling me is I don't believe in the same God. Yeah, that, yeah. that they do and um i have no problem with them telling me that i think they're wrong but um but uh and so forth so yeah that it has been lively it can be feisty one thing i would say i think social media is a terrible place to have any serious conversation um my best conversations with muslims have been in coffee shops and you know on street corners and stuff where we can take the time yeah. to, uh, to dig yeah. in and i think one of the reasons there's a lot of heat rather than light in the world is people try and have these substantive conversations be it about religion or gender or politics you know trying to do that on twitter uh -huh. is an absolute you know nightmare to go <laughs> don't do it um it's just best to say look let's leave it and, and walk away but now i've had some great great conversations and the fun thing is i've never had a muslim say to me they're offended or right. whatnot they've, they've told me they think i'm wrong and this is one of the things i'm always saying to christians to go you if you go in in a well-meaning generous open-hearted way confident in what you believe but willing to ask good questions and listen, you will have great time engaging with Muslim friends, neighbours and colleagues, because they are people who take faith seriously. Mm -hmm. and that could be why Christians find them intimidating, actually. But, yeah. you know, uh -huh. um, but I think it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's such a refreshing break from secular atheists who I don't believe in God to have Muslims who do believe in God, just a very, very different God to the God that we believe very in. Interesting. And I'm aware that time is ticking and you it are is. on cooking duties. But let me ask you one further question. Now, this is where I reveal my ignorance of different parts of the UK. So um, in Dundee, do you have much opportunity to connect with uh, Muslim folk? Um, well, yeah. I mean, Dundee, my friend, is the centre of the universe. Did you not know this? <laughs> all, all roads lead to Dundee or 
I'm very, I'm a big fan of the cake. Oh yes, Dundee cake um, is our well, several contributions to world cuisine. Dundee cake, which is very, very yummy. Marmalade, uh, we're a big marmalade making into Maximil marmalade. uh, I think was possibly, arguably, invented here in Dundee. And then our other big contribution to world cuisine is the uh, the deep fried mince pie, Uh, deep fried Mars. I think it was Glasgow, but a Dundee chip shop invented the deep fried mince pie. Uh, I, I, well, that that is reason enough to come to Dundee. Abs- absolutely, I do you know, find that Ramsey is my like, you know, favorite, but, yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, Dundee actually is a is an amazing place to be because a very multicultural city actually because we've got um we've got two universities and a big medical school, big dental school, so we have lots of folks uh from uh across the world lots of folks across the uk very big irish contingent lots of folks from ireland come here to study medicine um lots of folks from china actually got very big asiatic um population particularly among students and then actually quite a lot from other corners of the world so i've had the privilege of doing two or three uh, dialogues um there on the uh, dundee university campus um with uh, with muslims and uh, there's actually a Muslim uh, college here uh, in Dundee. And uh, they very graciously asked me to come and present a couple of years ago on my PhD. And I remember sort of saying to them, I remember emailing back and saying, you do know that my PhD was was probably was not something many Muslims would agree with. They went, oh, absolutely. No, we, we don't. We really do like engaging different views and had a lovely kind of time, even though I basically told them the Quran was a human invention uh, very politely. Um, we had a very lively Q&A. And so there's lots of Muslims here. And then... Um, and then just down the road, we've got Edinburgh. And uh, again, huge opportunities there. I had a very exciting opportunity a couple of years ago. The Islamic Society there again asked me to come and right. speak. And they would do, it was interesting, they were doing an interfaith week, they called it, okay. and they wanted to engage with different speakers. And um, and so, yeah, they reached out uh, to me and it was great. I went and again, a bit of presentation on my work on the Quran. But then we had, uh, you know, about two hours of Q&A afterwards, two hours on wow. everything from the Bible to the Trinity to it to whatever and it was lively i mean it was a lively q a but friendly and um and that's what i i yeah, like i think yeah, that's um good. that's gonna be fun really fun it's a lot well, of fun well i'm just very aware that you're you need to uh, i need to go and fry some sausages for a six-year-old and an eight-year-old and if not they'll be bursting <laughs> now, the now you're talking that sounds more that sounds more like the cuisine we expect from that part of i would just want to thank our listeners for joining us again um, I'm, I'm actually unaware of quite when, um, I think we've just, you're, this may be the last one in the mini series that we're putting out. So, um, uh, do make sure if you are listening, you check out the other talks on, um, on ponderings and do uh, drop us a note, um, uh, have a check out the website and that kind of thing. Um, and it's been great to speak to you. I'm sure we're going to catch up on some other things. Um, as, uh, as Andy said, his book is available at all good bookshops. And I suspect even the ones in the sky. So do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? Um, I'm, I'm going to plug it more and more and hopefully get a free copy. So um, because that's what you do when you're on these kind of things. I think we send you one, actually. I think we sent you the ebook. If not, ah. your, uh, your sidekick has it. Yeah, that's right. OK, Matt, uh, who some of you will know from the site, has obviously stolen it. So that's, that's about yeah, right. Yeah, he yeah, has got a copy. So there you go. Good. Yeah. I, will, I will check that out. But um, uh, thank you so much for joining us and look forward to speaking to you again, Andy.